welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. Today we're going to continue our series called Witnesses, talking about God's plan for humanity. We're going to be referencing the scripture passage today. We're not referencing the the artist Drake today, for some of you who know that that phrase. Um, And uh, we're, we're referencing the passage of scripture today, talking about God's plan, your purpose, and where that is found is in God's plan. And so we're excited about today. Don't know about you, but uh, there's a lot of plans that we have had over our lives, my life, and you know, I love um, at times putting things together, but what is so crazy at times is that you have in mind how long it's going to take you, and then, it, then reality hits, right? And then it takes, you know, 10 times as long. And I don't know about you, but when you receive something to put together, there is a plan that is there for you and how to put it together. It's called instructions, a manual. And uh, some of you maybe just look at the photo and you're just like, I can just go off that and put it together. For, for me, I like to follow the instructions through that and, and make sure I, I get every detail right and making sure it looks good. And so I had recently received, uh, you know, uh, something that we bought for our son Isaiah. We bought him a swing set. And so I was putting that together and following instructions, and there was just things not coming together. And of course, you know, I'm not going to reference the company, but Walmart and had, mess, had messed up tremendously. And I, if you work for Walmart, I love you, okay? Um, you know, and, and just know that it was, it was, a, it was an honest mistake. But uh, most of the time, we always blame, you know, the, the company because they messed up. And, and sometimes it's because maybe we didn't follow the instructions. But I am telling the truth. They had sent me the wrong piece. Okay, and I had put it together and I got it to its, you know, close to the end. And I realized there is a piece missing. They gave me one piece too many. And, and so I had to, so I was like, okay, maybe I messed up. So I dismantled uh, the majority of it. And it, you know, truth be told that it was a missing piece. So of course, I had to call uh, them and get this, you know, piece that I was missing uh, so that I was able to put that thing together. So it took a whole lot longer than I wanted to. Uh, you know, I had to wait a few days before I received it, but at the end of the day, it came together, and I was proud of myself, and, you know, I kept a cool head the entire time, so praise the Lord, right? And, uh, and you know, there are, there are times where, you know, when you see throughout your life, you have a plan for your life, you have certain things that maybe you want to accomplish in your life, certain things that you want to do, whether it's traveling, uh, whether it's family-related, whatever it may be, career path. All those different things. We all have certain plans in our life that we want to do. But how many know pretty much the majority of the time, the plan that you had 15 years ago, today you're thinking, yeah, that wasn't necessarily the plan that got to this point. But hey, you know what? We had a plan, whatever. Especially when you were a child, you had an idea of what you wanted to be. And most of the time, we end up changing that plan. You know, as we get older about what we want to be, we end up doing something completely different. So plans change over time. And so my goal this morning is to look at God's plan today and to look at what this looks like in a Christian's life and really get down to the foundation of God's plan. You know, what's the common theme of God's plan? 
You know, there are a lot of different details, a lot of different directions you and I will go, a lot of different people we will encounter, but really, what's at the core of God's plan for your life and for my life? And so this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're also going to jump into Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, because it's important for us to recognize why Paul is writing what he's writing. Because Paul is writing about uh, his gospel that he preaches about Jesus Christ and about what he has seen, what he has witnessed, what he has experienced, and how this operates in a person. And, and so because of that, in this Corinthian church, there are people who were challenging his message and saying either Jesus is, the, is not the Messiah or they were saying things like Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he suffered for me, so therefore I don't suffer, I don't go through anything har- uh, harmful. But Paul is saying, no, Jesus said in this world, you're going to have trouble if you follow him because of following Jesus. You know, that's, that's really at the, the core of what Paul's message is about. And then we're going to take, you know, his, his thoughts and ideas that he lays out for us in this passage and jump into a story where we see this unfold in Jesus's ministry during the time Jesus spent here on earth. And, and so really basic, really, the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing today is because I think a lot of times, especially when you've grown up in church, uh, like myself, and I've been, you know, in a pastor's home, you know, there are a lot of, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been explained to me, I don't know how many times, but over and over and over again, there are times where the, the way that it was presented to me or the way that it was taught to me, I, you know, started looking at it as like this huge list of rules that I started, you know, not understanding what the gospel really was anymore because I started looking at it as like, I got to do this, 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 this. And if I don't do this, that means I've messed up. God doesn't love me and I need to get saved all over again. And, you know, and so we keep going through this cycle and it seems like we repeat over and over and over again certain problems that we're facing and certain thoughts that keep coming into our minds. And so my goal today is to help, uh, help us understand the very foundation of what God's purpose is for your life. The very foundation. And through the details, God will work that out. Remember, Jesus, Jesus is, is going to show us this as well as Paul. And so he, he's having a, at a point in time where he's having to defend his message about what he's preaching to people. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, as we start there. Paul is talking about Jesus Christ dying for all. And, and so this is what he says in verse 16. And it's, God's plan for you is to be restored, is the first point this morning. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, a new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So this morning, as we look at this, Paul is understanding where his people who have opposed his message, he knows exactly where they're coming from because he used to oppose his, that same message. He used to oppose Jesus. He used to oppose the message of Christ. He used to oppose Jesus being the Messiah. So he knows very well where they're coming from. Paul was, to kind of help explain this, Paul was once referred to by the name Saul. And if you would read the book of Acts, you will see at one point in time, this man, Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, was going through the, the town and the areas uh, where the Jewish people were, 
And he was trying to destroy this message of Jesus Christ. He was trying to prevent this thing from spreading because he was thinking about this idea that if Jesus was truly the Messiah, then why did he die on a cross when we know that if a person dies on the cross, they are a cursed person and it's because God is against them. So how does that work? How, does that, how do you wrap your mind around the fact that if Jesus is on the cross, Jesus must have been sinful because he's on a cross. He's a cursed man, as, the, as they would believe this idea. And so Paul does not understand that. And so he is going through village to village, town to town, destroying this message, preventing people from spreading this, it, or having people arrested, families split apart, even at times would have people uh, be, be martyred for their faith. He would kill them. And so now Paul finds himself on the way to Damascus where he encounters Jesus and Jesus changes his life. And now he looks at it from a different perspective. He's saying, I now know that Jesus didn't die on the, on the cross for Jesus's sins, but he died on the cross for my sins. That's what it was. It was a different perspective. And then he uses the very famous passage of scripture, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This is Paul's understanding. And this is where we can look at examples in Jesus's life where we see something different happen in Jesus when he resurrects from the dead. We will read about this in Luke 24. We're not gonna turn there, but if you wanna write that passage of scripture down, you will see this road to Emmaus where two individuals are walking they have known that Jesus' body is missing from the tomb and they're trying to come up with an explanation and they're walking along this path and all of a sudden, Jesus appears to them on this road and he is resurrected, but they're not really sure yet what has happened. Jesus is resurrected, they're not sure what has happened and so all of a sudden, Jesus is having a conversation with them, he's walking with them, he's even sitting down eating food with them and they don't recognize it's Jesus. They, ha they had to have known Jesus before he was crucified. They had to know his appearance. So how did they not recognize his face? It says when he broke the bread, when he broke the Chick-fil-A nuggets after that long journey, that, <laughs> that they, I've seen if you're paying attention, all right, that after he had broke that bread, they recognized Jesus and he immediately disappeared from their sight. And they started telling people, we have seen the risen Lord. He has resurrected. What was different about Jesus? Well, let's read about this even in John 20, verse 14, where Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb of Jesus. Jesus' body is gone. She's trying to find out the explanation. She's trying to figure out where did Jesus go? Did somebody steal his body? What happened? And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in the tomb. And I love what it says in verse 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but did not recognize him. What was different about Jesus? He was the same Jesus, but he was different. There was resurrection power, and the same resurrection power that was in Jesus is the same resurrection power he now offers to you. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You are still a creation, but you're different when you accept Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. You're the same person, but you're different there's something starts to change within you. There's something about this freedom, this resurrection power that is only found in Jesus Christ that we are seeing here unfold because Paul recognizes this. He was the same man, but he's different now. He once opposed Christianity and now he's for Christianity. 
He's the same person. And there's so many people during his time who could not understand it. Because why? They had not experienced it. This is a question we have to ask ourselves. Have you experienced this resurrection power through Jesus Christ? Paul will, will tell us this in Romans, what to do. Because it's both an event and a process of being restored. It's confessing with your mouth, he is Lord. Believing in your heart that he has risen from the dead. And you will be saved. Why do you have to confess with your mouth? Because there is power in confession. There's power with your tongue. James says the tongue has the power of life and death. It's a very powerful thing that God has created when it comes to your tongue. When you speak and confess that he is Lord, there's something powerful that happens and you become forgiven. It's really what happens. And then you believe. Believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead. This is the start of your, as we would say, salvation or your relationship with God. And as you walk with him, you, get to, you basically get to follow Jesus, where, where, and follow him, and you follow his teaching. You follow what he calls you to do. You follow him because you just can't imagine life without him because you're a new creation. You've experienced resurrecting power within you, and no matter what goes on in your life, you cannot get away from it. Even when you make mistakes, even when you fail, man, there's something that keeps pulling you back to say, go back to God with this. Go back. You, you won't give up on it. Because why? Because Jesus has given you this resurrecting power. Has that happened to you? Have you experienced it? I'm not saying if you go to church, uh, you know, you ask people, you know, if they're a Christian, a lot of times say, well, I'm Methodist, I'm Catholic, I'm Pentecostal, whatever. That's not my question. Did you experience resurrecting power that is only found in Jesus Christ? And if you are Catholic or Methodist or whatever, or Baptist, whatever. Did those people offer that to you? Did they offer the resurrecting power that is only found in Jesus Christ? That's what this whole thing is about. And whose idea was it? God the Father's idea. Sometimes people look at God the Father as like this being big, mean, nasty person, and Jesus is like this soft, caring, loving person. No, whose idea was this? God the Father's idea. Because they saw something that was so important that needed to be dealt with because God is righteous. And when you're righteous, you cannot let wickedness go unpunished. It must be dealt with eternally. And so God says, I'm going to send my son Jesus to this world to die on the cross for the sins of the world. To do this once and for all. Because why? He saw what it was doing to humanity. He saw. He sees more than you see, than what I see. He saw the torment, the pain, the suffering of people who would not turn to him. And so he made a way. This is such a beautiful thing. Visualizing this, Paul's visualizing this. It's about what we would say crucifying your flesh. You're saying, I don't have the answer. I can't change me. No matter how hard I try, I can't do it. So we would say crucify your flesh and experience God's power resurrecting power through Jesus Christ. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. It is the process of being restored throughout your life. This is made possible. And I want to look at this through Matthew chapter 9, what this looks like. If you want to turn there, if you want to look at the screen, Matthew chapter 9, let's go ahead and go there on the screen for me. Um, Matthew chapter 9 is a very important passage here about a man named Matthew being called by God to follow by Jesus. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. 
Matthew is a tax collector. Matthew is a traitor to his culture. Matthew would be a tax collector who would collect it for the Romans, who are an enemy to the Jewish people. And a lot of times these tax collectors would gather more than what was needed, and they would gain a profit. They were basically robbing their own people. So they were considered a traitor by culture. They were an outcast. Nobody wanted to be around them. They were, you know, they were terrible people, basically. But what does Jesus do in, in verse 9? It says he saw Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. He saw Matthew. Made me ask the question, do I see people the way Jesus sees people that are lost? On Wednesday night, I was getting ready. I was getting ready for our youth service here, and I had an hour before youth service started, and I had plenty of things to do, and I recognized something missing that was valuable to me was my keys. And I was looking all over the place for my keys, and I dropped everything just to go find those things, and somehow it found its way in the printer. I don't know how. It has legs of its own, people, I'm telling you. I found it in the printer, and it was just like this visual, this, it just came to me like, I dropped everything because I lost something that was valuable. God created all people in this world. And there are billions of people who do not know Christ. And they are valuable to him in his eyes. How valuable are they to you? How valuable are these people who are lost? Would you literally drop everything if your schedule got interrupted? by somebody who was lost, who doesn't know Christ, who's not a Christian, whatever you want to give that title? Are we concerned enough that when we see somebody who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, are we willing to let our schedule be interrupted, to stop going around and just doing our own thing, going throughout life, and we only focus on the people that are in our circle, and we neglect those that are outside of our circle. Matthew was sitting at a tax collector's booth, and I want to see the disciples' reaction when they saw Jesus approach a man who was a traitor by their own culture. And Jesus calls him, and he follows. I mean, the man actually responds. That's even more amazing, to be somebody that's like that and to respond, because Jesus saw Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And this is such a, an amazing passage of Scripture. And you know, so many times, you know, we, people prevent themselves from giving this message to people that they know, or even whoever, because it's not a concern. It's not, and that's the scary part. It's the scary part for me, that there were plenty of times where it was not a concern, especially when I was younger. It was not a concern. It was not a part of my, you know, my life. I had plenty of friends who didn't know the Lord, and I knew they didn't know the Lord, and I didn't do anything about it, but I'm grateful for a God who restores me when I fail. Even when I mess up, when I make mistakes, when I should have said something and I didn't say it, when I should have given them an invitation and I didn't do it, God will restore even when you fail. God still loves you. He's not mad at you. He still loves you, and he still wants to use you if you just allow him to do that. And there, and there was one opportunity where my friend called me three years. I haven't seen him in three years. He had a lot of problems, a lot of addictions. That's the last I heard. Three years later, he calls me randomly. When I, and I'm talking to him on the phone. I mean, he literally just set me up for success when it came to witnessing. If I messed this one up, I thought to myself, then what in the world am I doing? You know, because he literally was just, he calls me and says, 
I didn't know who else to call. I knew just to call you because you were the only person that was consistent. And I'm thinking, man, like, I, I was like, dude, bro, you know how many times I failed trying to witness to you. Like, I, I felt so terrible. But then, like, as I'm talking, I'm like, oh, oh my goodness, God, you have literally put this, this, uh, this opportunity on a silver platter. And I cannot mess this one up because he lost everything, literally lost everything. I had to move back in with his parents, lost everything. And he's calling me and he's telling me, he says, I know I went to church and I have a lot of bitterness towards the church, but you were consistent in my life and you're the only person I knew to come to right now. And I'm like, this is like, I, I, this is a home run. Like, how can I mess this up? And so, you know, I'm, as I just talked to him, I don't really relate to anything about him. I think we, we, dis, we disqualify ourselves because we always think that we have to relate. No, you don't. You just have to be obedient. And, this, and he was talking to me about things I never dealt with in my life. I never experienced, and as I began to talk with him, you know, not through that conversation, but other conversations, we eventually came to the point where he gave his life back to the Lord, went back to church. He's now married, has a beautiful wife that loves God, and he has a daughter now, and now he's taking his family to church. I mean, you can't tell me that he is the the same old, same old person. No, he's different now. He's totally different. This is a beautiful thing that even if you think you have messed up when it came to doing this. And you go back, and you know, we do this a lot. Like, I wish I would have said this. Like, oh, man, that would have totally got him. You know? Just remember this. Even when you think you fail, God will restore everything. If you offer it to him, God will bring people in your life, even if you've made mistakes before. Even though I didn't deserve that opportunity, I was grateful for that opportunity. It changed my life. And when we look at this, Man, this restoration process, being restored back to Jesus, it's not just for you, it's for everybody. And this is what Paul says next. He says, we, our, God, our God's plan for you is to be his voice, to be his voice. Verse 19, it says this. He's writing to the Corinthian church. So what's this ministry that God has called us to do? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Not counting people's sins against them is amazing. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Not talking about God creating Jesus. It's about Jesus being the object of where the punishment of sin would be placed upon. Jesus' shoulders. This is what it's referring to. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers... We urge you to not receive this, receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You know, this message that is being preached by Paul through this letter is, is coming to the point of where Paul understands this. Sometimes we look at the scripture where Jesus gives his command to his disciples, go and therefore make disciples of all nations. Sometimes I think Christians read it as go or make disciples. Like, no, there's an and. Go and therefore make disciples. The responsibility, we would call it evangelism for those that would go and reach people with the message of Jesus Christ. And making disciples is a process in, in itself that we're all called to do. It's not go or therefore make disciples. It's go and make disciples. It's both. We may be strong in one area and weak in another area, but the responsibility is still the same for all of us. 
we go and be his voice. We go and share this message. It says, Paul very clearly says, this message by God the Father has been given to you so that you can make this appeal as if God himself was making that appeal through you. I mean, what tremendous responsibility. Why does Paul say this? Because he's concerned about believers, just like we can be concerned about people who follow the Lord, but yet don't give the message to anybody. It's a challenging thing. It's a frightening thing. Paul says, do not be caught in this, uh, this grace that could be in vain, because you would not acknowledge Jesus before men. So how can, I acknowledge, so how can Jesus acknowledge you before heaven? I mean, it's a pivotal moment for Christians to come to the point of saying, I may have been struggling with this, but you know what? I'm going to believe God that he has given me this voice, and I'm going to speak it. And, you know, sometimes I, I failed. You know, at, at first, I didn't like telling people I was a pastor because I know they would change when I told them I was a pastor. They would start saying all sorts of crazy things like, oh, you know, 15 years ago, you know, my grandmother was, you know, in church, and she brought me there, and, you know, praise God, and they all start changing their language on me, and I'm like, so at first, I was like, I'm just not going to tell people that, but then I started to realize God got a hold of me and says, you know, what if you start telling people that, how quickly you could turn that around to give them the hope? For example, you know, what do you do for a living? That happens a lot. Well, I'm a pastor, and, you know, and say, basically, to explain my job description to them. I give the, the message of hope through Jesus Christ. Have you received that too? Very simple, boom, right there. Well, that sounds in your face. Well, maybe we need to be more bold sometimes. I feel like we become more and more afraid of what people think of us when we need to start thinking about, God, you are so concerned about the lost children in this world. Is that a concern for me? I hope so. I hope it was, and God dealt with me several times on this matter, simply because I was like, well, I just don't want to offend people or make them change. You know, I want them to be the real them. You know, it, it, became, a, it became something I was living out that wasn't biblical. I had to change that approach. And there are times that, you know, we have to look at this. The Apostle Paul is talking about understanding that when it comes to this, he doesn't want Christians to fall short. I don't want to fall short. Because I was, I was doing one thing, but I wasn't doing the other. I mean, this is clearly illustrated in the gospel with Jesus as well, as we've been reading this passage in Matthew. You know, I had a conversation with the individual the other day. Again, God dealt with me. I started using this title as a pastor to my advantage because there was an individual who knew who I, what I was and who I was. And so he started talking to me and asking me questions. And he starts, you know, the first thing he says to me is like, are you some kind of like healer? And I'm like, well, I'm not necessarily a healer. And I understand, like, people have different ideas of what pastors are supposed to be and, and such. And I'm not making fun of him in any way. And this is what he first said out to me. And so I was able to explain to him what I do for a living. And, and through that conversation, you know, we ended up getting on the point of church. And I was like, hey, you want to come to church with me? I would love to have you come. I'll sit with you. I'll talk with you, whatever. And, you know, he's not there yet. But you know what happened? You know, I could look at that situation and be like, oh, man, I failed. I should have said something better, you know? I look at it as, you know what? If something goes wrong in his life, I know the very first person he's going to talk to. I know that because it's happened before. If it happened before, I know it can happen again. 
because there's one person in his life that was willing to have an honest conversation about his life, about his purpose, about what God has created him to be. I know that that's what that will be. I'm, I'll, I would hope and pray at some point sooner rather than later that one day I'll get a phone call and he'll talk to me about it. Or I get another chance, another encounter with him. I don't know. I don't know where life will take me. I just know that I can commit this to the Lord knowing that God's going to take care of that. And whether I said something, I should have said more or not, I don't know. I just know this. I'm just going to do what God has called me to do. And I'm not 100% perfect at this, but I'm going to do it because that's what God has asked me to do. He's told me to be restored. And then he's telling me to be, your, be his voice. As if God the Father was making the appeal through me. I mean, such a beautiful passage to know that God is making this appeal. But how does this work out and play out in Matthew's life when, when Jesus is doing this? Look at what happens. I love Jesus just simply because of the fact that, you know, I, I want to follow Jesus so much that I scared to death religious people. Jesus scared to death religious people. People who try to keep all the rules. Jesus scared them to death. Watch this in verse 10 of, of, of Matthew chapter 9. Let's go there. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Oh, now you're in a traitor's house. And then look at this. Many tax collectors and sinners. A tax collector is so bad, they don't even put you in the category of a sinner. You're worse. Came and ate with him. Jesus probably brought Chick-fil-A with him. Praise the Lord. And his disciples. Right? Says when the Pharisees, when the religious people, trying to keep all the laws, kind of keep everything tried to do everything right, never make a mistake, all these different things. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, what does your teacher eat? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors? I mean, they even do. Tax collectors? Sinners. Why does your teacher eat with them? On hearing this, I love this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I think a lot of times people are so concerned about gathering all this information that they're not living it. It concerns me. It's con- and again, I'm speaking from experience, church. I'm not speaking as if I have never done any of this. I'm speaking from experience because what difference does it make if you have the information and you don't put it into practice? I mean, Steve Jobs, for example, had a lot of information. What if he never put that into practice? He ne- you would have never had the iPhone. It would have been worthless information. You had all this knowledge, but you didn't do anything with it. I don't want to be caught in that position, as Paul says. I don't want to be caught in that position. He says this, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. I love that simply because Jesus gives grace even when people mess up. This is a danger in a lot of churches. When people mess up, we cut them off. Where is the grace? Where is that? I mean, we got to be better than that. Just because somebody does something that offends you or wrongs you, where's the grace that you have to cut them off and say, I don't want anything to do with them anymore because they, they harmed me. It got real quiet in here, which means I know I hit something. So <laughs> it, it's such an amazing thing because it, it, this grace that God has given me, this mercy that he has given me is such an amazing thing that I want to offer it to people too, even when they mess up. Because the way I come to God about my mess-ups and my mistakes, and I say, Lord, I need you. I need your forgiveness, all these different things. And I'm expecting God to love me, and which he will, he'll forgive me. Maybe I need to treat people that way too, the way Jesus is treating me when I make a mistake. 
Maybe I need to do the same and offer that as well. You know, because it, it is challenging. But you know what? We don't do what's comfortable. We do what's uncomfortable. We do what God has taught us to do. And, and this is such an, a, an amazing thing because it's such an important thing to know that from this scripture, this is talking about salvation is now. This is now is the time of salvation. Now we're here at this pivotal moment for so many people to come to this place of knowing Jesus Christ. I don't know how the gospel has been explained to you. I don't know if people made a huge list for you to let you know this is what you have to do to be saved. I am letting you know right now that all you have to do is confess and believe. That's it. There's a starting process right there. That if you make a mistake, you don't run from Jesus, now you run to Jesus. Because why? You're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And if the enemy wants to remind you of your past, just remind him of his future, what that's going to look like for him. It's not pretty. It's such an important thing for us to know that this is the gospel. This is the plan that God has for you. At its very foundation, wherever life takes you, have these two things in your heart. Be committed to this, being restored and being his voice. It's the process of following Jesus. And regardless you know, of what those religious leaders were thinking in that moment about Matthew and about what took place. Just remember, Matthew eventually laid down his life for Jesus. Who really loved Jesus more? Matthew did. He laid down his life for him, for knowing the message, for preaching it and not stopping. Regardless where life takes us, let's be committed to this mission. And this is such a great thing that we do with our Connect Group Fair, simply because there's so many people, so many on-ramps we can have with people uh, meeting people as well as having a community together as believers as well as bringing people alongside of us that maybe don't know the Lord, maybe are trying to figure this thing out about God. Maybe they just don't know. Maybe they're just wanting to experience friends. Let's be friend people. Let's be friend people who are atheists. Let's be friend people who are Muslim. Let's befriend them. That's what Jesus did. He went to his house, a traitor, and went into his home. And you can imagine Matthew, right? He's seeing this and hearing Jesus say this. He's like, yeah, Jesus, yeah, you got him. You come to call the, the oh, the sinners. You're talking, about, you're talking about me. And through that, Jesus was able to have a conversation with Matthew that changed his life forever. Have you experienced this resurrection power? Have you experienced his grace and mercy? Have you confessed and believed? And if you're here today and you're following the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that even if your kids gave you a hard time coming to church today, you found a way to be in this place. And you may have, be having some very difficult times right now. Maybe it's a good day for you. Maybe it's a bad day for you. But you find yourself here. You're here. That's a good thing. And now we want to bring more people. We want this place to be filled with people who do not know Christ so that they can hear as well as not only hear it, they can also hear it from you when you're out in the community, when it's just you. Because remember, you're not alone. God's with you. And you're making his appeal because this is what God has called you to do. This is him. This is God. This is his grace. This is our purpose. Amen? Amen. If you're here today, we're going to ask you to bow your heads just for a moment. If you're here today and you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, You've heard me give you the gospel very, hopefully, very simple and practical. I know there are times there are 
many things that are said and a, a list of things that people say you have to do and don't do and all these different things. I'm not asking you for any of that. What I'm just simply asking you is, have you experienced this resurrection power in Jesus Christ? Have you experienced that? Have you given your life to the Lord? Was there a moment where you said, yes, I want to confess and believe? Is there that moment? If there's not been that moment or you've been running from God and you know when you're doing that, would you like to come back home? Because Jesus will welcome you and this church will welcome you as well because we believe that you're worth it. This is why we do what we do. If, there, if you're here today, very simply, I'm not gonna call you out by name. I'm not gonna embarrass you. Just, I, just want you I just wanna know if there's anybody here that we could just wanna pray for, not calling anybody out by name at all. But if you're here, just slip up your hand right now, just very quickly. I'm the only one looking around. I just wanna thank you for doing that and thank you for your honesty. I'm give you just a moment. Don't let this moment slip by. Jesus said today's a day. Now is the time. Thank you so much. You, thank you so much for doing that today. And with our heads bowed and eyes closed today, um, we're just gonna pray and uh, we're gonna ask the Lord to be with us and, and continue to use us as a church. And I believe God's gonna do that when we commit this to him. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we get to lift up your name. Lord, thank you for this message. Lord, I thank you for, Lord, the message that Paul, Lord, saw in you, Lord, and he gave Lord, just a personal testimony in this book of 2 Corinthians about what you have done in his life and how people need to experience the same grace. Lord, I pray that our grace not, will not be in vain, but that we will take this upon ourselves, knowing that you have given us this mission to be restored and to be your voice. Lord, I pray for your church today. Lord, let us befriend those around us, our neighbors, our coworkers, people that we may never have met before. Lord, help us, Lord, to be ready for any opportunity you present to to us. Lord, we thank you that you're going to be with us as we do that. In Jesus' name, amen.